0: Hakika Wahi, The Philosophy of Divine Relation by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, the Promised Messiah and Mahdi al-Islam, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. About the author. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad al was born in 1835 in Qadian, India. From his early life, he dedicated himself to prayer and the study of the Holy Quran and other scriptures. He was deeply pained to observe the plight of Islam, which was being attacked from all directions. In order to defend Islam and present its teachings in their pristine purity, he wrote more than 90 books, thousands of letters, and participated in many religious debates. He argued that Islam is a living faith which can lead man to establish communion with God to achieve moral and spiritual perfection. Hazrat, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad al-Islam started experiencing divine dreams, visions, and revelations at a young age. In 1889, under divine command, he started accepting initiation into the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Divine revelations continued to increase and God commanded him to announce that he had appointed him to be the same reformer of the latter days as prophesied by various religions under different titles. He claimed to be the same prophet who the Holy Prophet said would be raised as the promised Messiah and Mahdi. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community is now established in more than 200 countries. After his demise in 1908, the second manifestation of divine power was demonstrated, and the institution of khilafat successorship, was established to succeed him in fulfillment of the prophecies made in the Holy Qur'an, presented by the Holy Prophet And in the Promised Messiah al-Islam's book al Wasiyat, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad Ayatullah ta'ala b al-Aziz is the fifth successor to the Promised Messiah al-Islam, and the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The original title page for Hakika Tuluahi, which was printed in 1907. The works of the Almighty have become manifest. Those who called me a disbeliever have been seized. And surely our word has gone forth, respecting our servants, the messengers, that it is certainly they who would be helped, and that it is our host that would certainly be victorious. Surah As-Safat And sufficient for me is what has been revealed to me in this blessed revelation. Your Lord has said, The thing which will please you is about to descend from heaven, and we do not descend without the command of your Lord. No prophet has been sent, except that Allah has humiliated on his account of people who do not believe. Verily, Allah is with those who are righteous under those who do good, and give glad tidings to those who believe that for them is the victory. And Allah will perfect his light, though the disbeliever may dislike it. Allah has decreed, More surely, I will prevail. I am my messengers. Fear not. Verily, the messengers need have no fear in my presence. The Philosophy of Divine Revelation Thousands upon thousands of thanks are due to God Almighty that this comprehensive book, which contains all kinds of verities and insights and records, many heavenly signs, Has been compiled and composed by his sheer grace and mercy and with his special help and assistance. What is the effect of this book? It should be borne in mind that the effect of this book, which is a compendium of comprehensive arguments and truths, is not only limited to the extent that, by the grace and mercy of God Almighty, this humble one's being, the Promised Messiah, has been proven in it through patent arguments, but its impact is also that Islam's being, a living and true religion, has been proven within it. Although every single nation can declare themselves that we also consider God Almighty as one without partner, just as the Brahmas claim, and exactly as the Aryas do, to believe in Tawhid, the oneness of God, even though they consider each particle of matter as eternal and thus partners with God himself. Yet all these nations are unable to present any categorical proof of the existence of a living God and their hearts are incapable of being satisfied with the existence of God. This is why their assertions that we consider God Almighty as one without partner are nothing but mere claims. For this reason, their set proclamations cannot dye their hearts in the colors of truth though Set aside the belief in God as one without partner. In reality, these people do not have so much as the good fortune to believe with certainty in the existence of God. Rather, their hearts are steeped in darkness. It should be borne in mind that human beings can never recognize God, who is absolutely hidden, merely through their own faculties, until He Himself reveals His being through His signs. A true relationship with God, the exalted, can never develop unless the relationship is created exclusively through the instrumentation of God, Carnal temptations cannot be removed from the soul until a light from the omnipotent God enters the heart. Behold, I present first-hand testimony that such a relationship can only be possible through following the Holy Qur'an. The other scriptures are now devoid of the spirit of life. There is now only one book under the canopy of the heavens that reveals the countenance of that true Beloved, that is the Holy Qur'an. I care not the least about the various objections my people raise against me, and it would be utter infidelity on my part if I should abandon the path of truth for fear of them. They should think for themselves that God has endowed a man with intellectual insight from himself, has shown him the way, has blessed him with his converse and discourse, and has manifested thousands of signs to prove his truthfulness— How could he possibly turn his face away from that son of truth, considering the dissenting opinion of an adversary to be something of any importance? Moreover, I am not perturbed by the fact that my opponents, both internal and external, are wholly dedicated to slandering me, for this too proves a miraculous sign in my favor. The reason being that if I possess within me every kind of evil and I am, as they allege, a defaulter, a liar, an antichrist, an imposter, a deceiver, and corrupt, If I have created a schism between the people, if I am a mischief monger, a transgressor and immoral, if I have imputed falsehood to God for almost 30 years and used abusive language, against good and righteous people, if in my soul there is nothing else but mischief, evil, malefaction, and selfishness, if I have set up a business for simply deceiving the world, if, according to them, God forbid, I do not even believe in God, if there is no evil that is not to be found in me, and I possess all the sins of the world, and my soul is replete with every kind of wrongdoing, if I have usurped the wealth of many and abused many, were as pure as angels and if i have surpassed all in every evil and fraud then what is the mystery behind this that albeit i was the one who was evil wicked perfidious and a liar whenever a so-called saintly person arose to confront me he himself was destroyed whosoever initiated a mubahla prayer duel against me he himself was ruined whosoever cursed me himself fell prey to his own curse and whosoever filed a case against me in court was himself defeated, you will witness the proofs of these occurrences by way of illustration in this very book. It should have thus happened at the time of such confrontations that I myself should have perished or been struck by lightning. Moreover, there would have been no need for anyone to stand up against me, for God himself is the enemy of a criminal. Hence, for God's sake, think why the contrary has occurred, why did the pious perish when opposing me, and why did God save me in every single confrontation? Does this not prove to be a miracle in my favor? Therefore, I am grateful that even the evils which are falsely ascribed to me prove my own miraculous sign. The author Mirza Ahmad al-Islam, the promised Messiah of Qadiyan. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, all praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, and blessings and peace be upon the best of his messengers Muhammad, and upon his progeny and all of his companions. After this, be it known that I felt the need to write this book because during this age a grave evil has arisen, in the very same manner that hundreds of other kinds of evils and innovations have arisen, and it is that most people are unaware of the stage and condition in which a dream or revelation can be worthy and reliable and the circumstances in which there lies the danger that those may be the words of Satan, not God, or the speaking of the self, not the speaking of the Lord. It ought be remembered that Satan is a staunch enemy of man. He wants to destroy through diverse means. It is entirely possible that a dream be true and yet emanate from Satan, and it is possible that a revelation be true and yet originate from Satan, because although Satan is the greatest liar, He sometimes deceives by saying something true in order to snatch one's faith. Even so, those who attain the degree of perfection in their sincerity, fidelity, and love of God cannot be overpowered by Satan. As Allah the Exalted says, Surely you, Satan, shall have no power over my servants. Surah Al-Hijr Chapter 15, verse 43. Thus, their distinctive mark is that the grace of God reigns upon them, and thousands of signs and examples of God's acceptance are found in them, the likes of which I shall, God willing, elaborate upon in this book. However, it is a pity that there are many people who are still seized in the clutches of Satan, and yet, trusting their dreams and revelations, seek to give glory to their false doctrines and corrupted religions through those dreams and revelations. Indeed, they present these very dreams and revelations as evidence or their intent is to present such dreams and revelations to squand the true religion of Islam or to allege that the holy prophets of God were never better than ordinary people or to suggest that if true dreams and revelations are the touchstone of a true religion then the path and religion they follow ought to be accepted as correct. There are still others who do not present their dreams and revelations as proof of the truth of their faith, but instead suggest that such experiences are not a criterion to determine the truth of a religion or a man. There are yet others who relate their dreams only for boasting and self-glory. There are also some who, on the basis of certain dreams or revelations which they consider to have some true, portray themselves as imams, spiritual leaders, or messengers. Such are the evils that have spread in this country, and instead of leading such people to righteousness and piety, they have made them vain and arrogant. Therefore, I thought it proper to pen this treatise, to distinguish truth from falsehood. For I see that some of the less intelligent people are faced with the tribulation because of such people. For example, person X, relying on his dream or revelation, declares person Y, who claims to be a recipient of revelation, to be a disbeliever while person Z, another recipient of revelation, issues an edict of disbelief upon them both. To make matters even more perplexing, all three claim that their own dreams and revelations are true, and even provide evidence of the fulfillment of some of their prophecies. Thus, the people face a serious trial by such contradictions, mutual accusations of falsehood and rejection. They are left to ponder, if God is one, How could he send down revelation to person X, say something opposite to person Y, and then intimate something completely different to person Z? In this way, those who are ignorant begin to doubt the very existence of God. In short, this state of affairs has become a source of anxiety for the ordinary people, and because of it, the institution of prophethood, becomes suspect in their eyes. In this context, another matter which discomfits the general public is that at times true dreams are also experienced by those who are immoral, sinners, adulterers, oppressors, faithless, thieves, those who earn their living by unlawful means, and those who act contrary to the injunctions of God. For instance, I personally know that certain women belonging to the profession of sweepers who carry on, and live the life of criminals personally related some dreams to me and they were fulfilled. More surprising is the fact that even prostitutes and pimps who are steeped in the filth of their profession have been known to describe some of their dreams that were fulfilled. Moreover, certain Hindus who are tainted with the filth of idolatry and are bitter enemies of Islam have also been known to experience dreams that came to pass accordingly. Even as I was writing this book, a Hindu from Gadian, who is Khatri by caste, came to visit me and told me of a dream in which he saw that orders had been issued for the transfer of a certain sub-postmaster, but later they were postponed. And indeed, this is what came to pass. On various occasions, this Hindu related to me that several other dreams of his had also been fulfilled. I do not know what his purpose was for narrating these accounts and why he would time and again relate his dreams to me. For according to the Vedas, the age of true dreams and revelations has come to a close. There is also the case of a Hindu who was both a wretched thief and an adulterer and was sentenced to imprisonment. He happened to meet me for some reason after his release. I recalled that he had been sentenced to several years of imprisonment for the crime of theft. He told me that the night before he was to be sentenced by court, it was disclosed to him in a dream that he would be incarcerated. Even though this was not the least bit expected. It happened accordingly and the very next day he was sent to jail. Similarly, there is an individual in America these days by the name of Dawi who publishes a newspaper. He believes that Hazard Isa al-Islam, Jesus, is God and considers himself to be the reincarnation of Prophet Elias al-Islam, Elijah. He is a claimant to a divine revelation and presents his dreams and revelations to the masses with the claim that they have come true. However, he is a person who, as I have already mentioned, believes in a humble human being to be the lord of all the worlds. As for his character, it is sufficient to say that his mother was an adulteress, and by his own admission, he is an illegitimate child. He comes from a family of cobblers and a brother of his works in Australia as a cobbler. These statements are not just empty accusations, for I possess all the letters and newspapers which establish his family background to be such. In short, when various classes of people are able to see such dreams and revelations as come true from time to time, and when there are more than fifty such people in this country who are claimants to such inspiration and revelation. Moreover, these people fall within such a wide circle that there seems to be no requisite for following the correct faith or having piety. In this situation, there cannot be any sensible person whose heart does not feel the need to solve the riddle as to how to establish a criterion for distinguishing between them. This is especially the case because there is evidence that despite a difference of religion and belief, people of every denomination experience dreams and revelations, and even denounce one another on the basis of their dreams and revelations, and from time to time the dreams experienced by people of every religion come true. It is obvious that this is a dangerous stumbling block in the path of those who seek the truth, and it is, in particular, a lethal poison for those who claim to be the recipients of revelation and consider themselves to be recipients of revelation from God, whereas, in fact, they have no relationship with God whatsoever. They assign themselves a rank of importance on account of the odd true dream and are consequently deprived of desire to seek the truth. Instead, they come to view the truth with disdain and contempt this state of affair has persuaded me to set our clear distinction for the benefit of those who seek the truth. Accordingly, I have divided this book into four chapters. Chapter 1 relates to those people who occasionally experience true dreams or revelations but do not enjoy a relationship with God in the least. Chapter 2 relates to those people who occasionally experience true dreams or revelations and have some relationship with God, though not to a great extent. Chapter 3 relates to those people who receive revelations from God Almighty in its purest and most perfect form and who are honored with divine communion and discourse in all its perfection. Such people experience deem that are as clear as daybreak. Like God's chosen prophets and messengers, they have a most perfect consummate and pure relationship with God Almighty. Chapter 4 relates to my own personal experiences, that is to say, an exposition as to which of the three categories I have been placed in by the grace and munificence of God Almighty. I will now proceed to write on this subject in the following four chapters. I have no strength except that which comes from Allah, our Lord. Guide us to your right path, and grant us the understanding from yourself of the correct faith, and teach us knowledge from yourself. Chapter 1 In description of the people who experience some true dreams or some true revelations, but they have no relationship with Allah the Almighty, nor do they receive the slightest share of the light that is bestowed upon his chosen servants, and their carnal self is far removed from any relationship with the divine light. Let it be clear that since man has been created for the purpose of recognizing his creator and attaining the level of certainty in believing in his being and his attributes— God Almighty has therefore fashioned the human mind accordingly. On the one hand, it has been endowed with the ability to reason, whereby it can ponder over the creations of Allah the Exalted Maker, and, having discovered the subtle imprints of the perfect wisdom of Allah the Maker, exalted be His name, that are evident in every particle of the universe and the magnificent and well-organized system characterizing the world order, understand with perfect insight that such a grand enterprise as the heaven and the earth cannot exist on its own without a creator. Indeed, it must have a creator. On the other hand, it has also been endowed with the spiritual senses and faculties to compensate for the deficiency and imperfection that rational faculties experience in attaining the complete cognition of Almighty God. Because it is obvious that rationality alone cannot lead to the complete cognition of God. The reason is that by observing the component parts of the universe, individually or collectively, and their flawless and perfect order, the rational faculties given to man can at the most conclude that this universe, which is based on profound principles and deep wisdom, ought to have a creator. They cannot go so far as to affirm that he does indeed exist. It is obvious that until man's enlightenment reaches the level of affirmation, that the Creator does indeed exist, only realizing the need for a Creator cannot be called perfect enlightenment because the statement that there ought to be a Creator for all these creations cannot equal the statement that the Creator, whose necessity has been acknowledged, does indeed exist. Therefore, in order for seekers after truth to complete their spiritual journey and satisfy the innate desire for the perfect cognition of God that is inherent in their nature it is necessary that, along with their rational faculties, they should be granted spiritual faculties, so that if the spiritual faculties are applied fully and there is no veil in between, they should reveal the countenance of the true Beloved with such clarity as the rational faculties cannot show on their own. Therefore, God who is benevolent, and merciful, and who has invested human nature with the hunger and thirst for his perfect cognition, has also endowed human nature with two types of faculties, for the purpose of arriving at the perfect cognition. The first are the rational faculties, the source of which is the brain. The second are the spiritual faculties, the source of which is the heart. And their purity depends upon the purity of the heart. Spiritual faculties reach the reality of that which cannot be discovered completely through the rational faculties the spiritual faculties only possess the stimulating capability that is, creating such purity as makes it possible to reflect the graces from the source of all graces. Therefore, it is a prerequisite that they, such seekers, be eager to acquire that bounty, and there should be no veil or obstruction in between, so that they become recipients of the grace of perfect cognition from God. Their recognition of the divine should not be limited to an affirmation that this universe, which is full of wisdom, ought to have a creator. Rather, by fully receiving the honor of discourse and converse with that creator and by observing his magnificent signs directly, they should see his countenance and observe with the eye of certainty that, indeed, the creator does exist. But the nature of most people is not free from the veils. They are afflicted with the love of this world and its temptations, pride, arrogance, conceit, hypocrisy, self-indulgence, and other moral vices. Willful neglect and delinquency in discharging the rights of God and rights of people deliberate violation of the norms of sincerity, fidelity, and fine points of love and loyalty to God, and deliberate severance of the bond with God Almighty. On account of all types of veils, obstructions, desires, and passions, They are not capable of being the recipients of a worthy grace of divine converse and discourse, which should exhibit anything of the light of their being acceptable to God. Yet the eternal favor of God, which does not desire that the innate faculties of human nature should go to waste, has ordained by way of planting a seed that most human beings should occasionally see true dreams or receive true revelations, so that they should be aware that there is a path open for their progress. But their dreams and their revelations do not have any signs of God's acceptance, love, and grace, nor are such people free from the impurities of their egos. They are shown these dreams only so that an argument for believing in God's holy prophets is established against them. For if they were totally devoid of understanding the reality of true dreams and true revelations, and they had no definite knowledge of them, They could plead before God Almighty that they could not possibly understand the reality of prophethood since they were completely unacquainted with this phenomenon. They could say that they were totally unaware of the essence of prophethood and their nature was not given any example to understand it. Therefore, how could they possibly comprehend this concealed truth? Thus has it been the way of God from the antiquity And ever since the foundation was laid for the creation of this world, that ordinary people, irrespective of being good or bad, being righteous or disobedient, being the follower of a true faith or a false one, are also shown some true dreams or vouchsafed true revelations so that their concept and conjecture, which derives from hearsay and imitation of others, may reach the level of ilmul yaqeen, knowledge by inference and they may have personal experience which should help spiritual progress. To this end, the omniscient one has fashioned the human brain in such a way and endowed it with such spiritual faculties that it can experience some true dreams and can receive some true revelations. However, those true dreams and true revelations are not an indication of any greatness or esteemed status, but are only pathways to progress acting merely as samples. If such dreams and revelations signify anything, it is only that such a person has the right nature unless he is ruined by carnal passions. It is implied by such a nature that the person can advance spiritually if no barriers and screens are encountered. To illustrate, there may be a tract of land which shows signs of having underground water, but the water lies buried beneath several layers of earth and is admixed with Many forms of sludge, and the water that is pure, pleasant, and usable cannot be reached without a great deal of labor and many days of digging the earth. Therefore, it is the height of insolence, absurdity, and misfortune to imagine that the pinnacle of human excellence lies in experiencing some true dream or true revelation. Rather, there are many other requisites and conditions for human excellence. And unless they are all fulfilled, such dreams and revelations are part of the realm of trials in accordance with the plan of God. May God safeguard every seeker from their ill consequences. At this point, it should be borne in mind by one who is enamored by revelation that wahy, revelation, is of two kinds. ul the revelation of trial, and ul Istifa, the revelation of exaltation. The revelation of trials sometimes bring about ruination, as for example, Balaam was ruined for the same reason, but the recipient of the revelation of exaltation is never ruined. Moreover, even the revelation of trial is not experienced by everyone. Just as many people are born physically deaf, dumb, and blind, so do some lack spiritual faculty. Just as a blind person can carry along with the guidance of others, so do these people. But on account of general testimony, which is tantamount to a matter-of-fact statement, they cannot deny these real occurrences, nor can they allege that all are similarly blind as they are. As is the everyday observation that a blind man cannot argue that those who claim to be able to see are liars, nor can he deny the fact that except for him thousands of others have eyes. For he observes that people do use their eyes, and can do what the blind cannot. However, if there had come a time when everyone was blind and there was no one who could see and a controversy emerged as to whether there was a time in the past when only people with sight were born, the blind could have ample reason to deny, debate, and contest. I am inclined to think that the blind would have ended up winning this argument because anyone who refers only to the past and cannot show in any other person of his own era Those human qualities and excellences that he claims to be real and contends that those powers and qualities are not present anymore but did exist in the past would lose the argument on critical review. If human beings still possess the abilities, such as the ability to see, hear, smell, touch, remember, think, etc., which were bestowed on the physical aspect of human constitution by the perfect benefactor in the past, then why would anyone think that those spiritual capabilities that people enjoyed in previous ages have become altogether extinct in their constitution in this age, particularly when those capabilities are more crucial to human perfection than physical faculties? And how can it be denied when our everyday experience confirms that these faculties have not become extinct? This illustrates how distant from the truth are the religions that admit that the physical and intellectual faculties of human nature are still the same as they were before, but they deny that the spiritual faculties are still present in human beings as they were in the past. My intent from this entire discourse is that unless a person possesses Certain other qualities, which I shall God-willing elaborate upon in chapter 3, the mere fact that he sees true dreams or experiences a few true revelations does not prove any excellence on his part. It is merely the result of the peculiar constitution of his brain. and That is why there is no precondition in it for being virtuous or truthful, nor is it necessary for him to be a believer and a Muslim. And just as some people experience true dreams or learn something by way of ilham, inspiration, simply due to the constitution of their brains, similarly, the nature of others is suited for scholarship and discoveries due to the constitution of their brains, and they alight upon subtle manners. But in reality, they fall under the category of people mentioned in an authentic hadith, meaning that his poetry professed belief, in God, but his heart disbelieved. That is why it is not for every simple-minded person to recognize a truthful one. As is said, O oh, how many an Iblis has the face of Adam! So give not your hand in allegiance to everyone. Moreover, it should also be borne in mind that the dreams and revelations experienced by the people of this rank are steeped in much darkness and very rarely contain the brilliance of truth. They are not accompanied by any sign of God's love and acceptance, and any news of the unseen they may contain is such that it is also shared by tens of millions of others. Anyone who wishes can verify for himself that such dreams and revelations are experienced by all kinds of people, including sinners, liars, infidels, atheists, and indeed even prostitutes. Therefore, anyone who exults over and is enamored by such dreams and revelations is not wise. And gravely deceived is the one who deludes himself into believing that he is someone special, merely by experiencing in himself a sample of dreams and revelations of his quality. Indeed, it should be remembered that such a person is only like someone who on a dark night sees the smoke of a fire from a distance, but he cannot see the glow of this fire, nor can he alleviate his frigidity and dejection by its heat. This is the very reason why such people derive no share of God's special blessings and bounties, nor does any acceptance develop in them. They have no connection with God at all, nor are the impurities of their human self consumed by the flames of divine light. Since they do not develop a real friendship with God, their lack of nearness to Him allows Satan to remain their constant companion, and they are dominated by hadiths and nafs, the inspirations of the self. Even as the sun remains mostly hidden on an overcast day, only a corner of it becomes visible occasionally. So are such people mostly enveloped in darkness. And their dreams and revelations have a great deal of satanic influence.